Welcome to Worship Valley. Let's get on our feet.
Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be in relationship with him. Let's rejoice in that truth together.
Will you continue to worship with me? Thank you. 
the one who was and is and is to come. And we eagerly await the day that we see Jesus face to face coming for his church, his bride. Lord, we love you. We're grateful to gather, to worship, to sing. And we look for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. has dreams, things they want to achieve, things they want to accomplish, things they want to do. And there's an old movie called Waking Ned Divine, and it's about an Irish village where there's been a lottery ticket, and someone in that village has, uh, has the winning lottery ticket for the huge national lottery. And it's a comedy, and it's about people trying to scurrying around, trying to kind of make this lottery come true for their lives. And in this one particular scene I want to show to you, there's a husband and wife and the husband is getting ready to watch the lottery drawing, and the wife is off in the kitchen, and he's asking her for some apple tart, and all the while they're watching the drawing of the lottery. Check it out. Annie, where's my ticket? Your trousers. Jackpot. Details of which will follow as mentioned in Roundup. Here's Alan Fergus, our independent observer this evening. Alan is from Stokescroft Financial Services, and we're very honored to have him here with us tonight. There's all your numbers. Numbers 1 to 42, poised and ready over the door Annie, drum. bring me my apple tart. And yeah. we're ready now for a weekend. Lock yourself. We start the draw drum now. Release all 42 numbers. Now we'll start the selection. And there's a lot to start. As we wait for the first number to come from the draw drum. And our first number is 19. Oh, yes, there 19. she goes. Number 19. Annie, come in. Bring me my tart. We've got That's the first one. It's number 40. Jeepers, Annie. Can you believe it? I've got the second. Our third number is number four. Oh, will you look at that girl? Here's our fourth number, seven. Can you number believe seven. it, Annie? Number seven. Will you come in out of that? We've got the first four. You're having me on. Our fifth number is 25. 25. Annie, we've got it. She's checking. The 
<laughs> okay, so they didn't win the lottery, but at least he got his apple tart. Uh, you know, uh, his dream was not fulfilled, but he got something. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. We have these dreams, these big dreams, and yet they're only partially fulfilled, or they're not fulfilled at all. But the Scripture has an interesting angle to all this, in that it says that God has, uh, has done something within human beings. He's set eternity in their hearts. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So in other words, God's got a plan that's going to make everything beautiful in his perfect timing. And he set a longing inside the human heart for eternity for something that lasts, that endures. And we have been talking throughout this book of Revelation of God's, God's plan for the ages. It began with Jesus breaking the seals uh, and, and unfolding the plan of God. And we've come all the way through this book of Revelation and we land now at uh, actually the last chapter. We're going to take two weeks to look at that. In Acts chapter 22, we're going to look at the first five verses. We're going to get uh, kind of the end of the vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And it's very exciting. Just from last weekend, Pastor Brandon did a, a great job of bringing us the Word of God in chapter 21. And I, I want to take a quick true-false test with y'all, okay? So see if you were paying attention, all right? Just a few things. True or false? Heaven is not a real place. Heaven is a state of mind. True or false? That's false. Okay. Uh, when you die, you can forget about this earth... Uh, because you'll never see it ever again. That's also false. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will experience life on earth. Uh, here's another one. We will dwell in heaven as disembodied spirits floating on clouds, playing the harp. Sorry, that's false also. Uh, in eternity, you will recognize people, and there will be an unbelievable community of every tribe, language, people, and nation. That one's true. Earth even after the fall of humanity, is a beautiful place. So it's natural to think that heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, will be lame, boring, colorless, and bland. Yellowstone or Disney World is better than heaven. Big false. Uh, in heaven, you will want to avoid certain people because there will still be plenty of jerks. No, that's false. And lastly, we will be admitted to heaven on the basis of the good works we have done in this life. And that is a big time false. The only way that we can enter heaven is through the grace of our God and his incredible salvation provided to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the basis. By trusting in him, we can be uh, promised and we are promised everlasting life. And this everlasting life begins in this life Begins the time we believe, not when we die, but begins here. And he said eternity in our hearts. And there's a hunger 
a longing, a dreaming of something that is to come, deeply embedded within the human heart. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, or perhaps better, a new heavens and a new earth. And that's what we're experiencing here as we look to Revelation chapter 22. John's vision that Jesus gave to him captures, we're going to find, imagery from Genesis chapter 2, the beautiful Garden of Eden, a new and improved and glorified garden, and also many of the promises that are told to us through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 60 through 65. So he picks up all these kind of imagery, imagery and he brings them together in these five verses we'll look at today. Jesus earlier in the in the in Revelation said, I am making everything new. He is about a program, a process that will come to its fruition in eternity, where God, Jesus, makes everything new. And the old is gone, the new has come, and the earth is is renewed and it's it's brought back to life, the life that God intended it for to be and heaven comes down to earth it is the renewal of all things says Jesus now there's a New Testament theologian by the name of N.T. Wright and he says that understand this it is not so much that we go to heaven it is that heaven comes to earth the final answer to the Lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven The great renewal, the renewal of all things, rescues us, I think, from all the vague and ethereal and unimaginable visions that we've been given of eternal life somewhere up above. When Jesus speaks of the restoration or the renewal of all things, he does so in very tangible terms, and so does Revelation, pointing to the recovery of normal things like houses and lands. He said, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. There's no bait and switch here. The renewal of all things simply means that the earth you love, all your special places and treasured memories, is restored and renewed and given back to you forever. Nobody seems to have heard this or paid much attention to it because for one thing, nobody I know is fantasizing about that. Nobody's dreaming about that. Um, when, when was the last time you eavesdropped on a conversation at Starbucks about the restoration of all things? And for another thing, everybody I talk to has still has these anemic, kind of wispy views of heaven as a place up there somewhere where we go to attend the eternal worship service in the sky. Meanwhile, we fantasize about that boat we'd love to get or the trip to Italy, the chocolate eclair, or the girl in the cubicle next door. Of course we do. We are made for utter happiness, but the restoration of all things, now that would change everything, and it does. And this is what we experience now as we enter into Revelation chapter 22, the final chapter of the whole Bible. It says, then... 
he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So this incredible, beautiful river coming down this immense city that Brandon described so beautifully to us, crystal clear water, beautiful scene, total natural scene, flowing, it's coming from the throne of God himself and of the Lamb of God, Jesus, right down the, the middle of the city's main street. I don't know if you've ever been to San Antonio, but there's a beautiful thing called the Riverwalk. And it, it's this river that kind of cuts its way through this section of, of San Antonio. And there's shops and there's walks. And it's just this beautiful natural scene. And there's trees and flowers everywhere. It's really a beautiful thing. Guys, that is, the Riverwalk is, is, is nothing compared with what we're getting described here. And he says the tree of life was on each side of the river. So guys, l- let me tell you something. We haven't seen the tree of life since Genesis. It's been gone since Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and were barred from any ever having access to the tree of life. It's been gone from the pages of Scripture. It's been a dream only. But now in this eternity, in this renewal of all things, God brings us back to what we've always dreamed about. And that brings us to the first dream that is fulfilled. And that is we dream about living forever. We dream about living forever. Uh, death is our greatest fear, guys. Um, so therefore, our greatest dream is to live forever. There, there are legends of the fountain of youth. Indiana Jones just wants one drink of the cup, the Holy Grail, and he can be restored and healed. And the afterlife is described in various cultures, even non-Christian cultures, Egyptian cultures, ancient Middle Eastern cultures, uh, all over the world, African cultures. The afterlife that is this incredible experience of, of a paradise sort of setting is a dream that is embedded into virtually every culture and inside every human heart. And it is somewhere there in all of our hearts too. And the picture we get here of the new heavens and the new earth is imagery to really describe the indescribable. The new Jerusalem, the capital city, the throne of God and of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the streets of the city, they're beautiful, the water of the river of life, it's living water, and the tree of life that we haven't seen since the Garden of Eden. And the promise here is when God fulfills all of his plan, we who have trusted in Jesus will live forever. You will live as long as God. And not just mere existence, like the calendar just keeps turning dates, like a bad, really bad Groundhog Day experience. No, it's not just living forever chronologically, but living forever in the quality of living. Both the quantity and the quality are tremendous. That is the promise. We dream about living forever, yes, But keep going. More dreams that we have embedded in our hearts. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing, or for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. Now, there's a lot there in that passage. Let me me take you through it. The tree of life, which is kind of a, um, a collective singular Sometimes we might talk about the California redwood, and we're not talking about a single tree. We're talking about that species of tree. 
So this tree of life appears not just a single tree, but somehow it's, it's, it's populating the entire city uh, on either side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit. So most trees you think of, they bear one kind of fruit, and they, don't, they, they bear it up season, a certain season. Here they're bearing 12 kinds of fruit, which talks about uh, it's bearing, producing its fruit every month. So it's amazing what's happening here. All these different trees bearing different types of fruit, which is about a nourishment, which is about satisfaction, which is about delight and enjoyment. That's what that all is about. And he says the leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. See, the nations, the peoples of the earth, it's been a lot of problems. Oh, guys, think about it. Think about the first century readers of this in those seven churches in Asia Minor, the nations, wow, the nations around them worshiping uh, false gods, Greek, uh, Roman gods, false idols, all sorts of poverty, misery, and, uh, and persecution that they experienced. And there was so much upset, and, and that comes all the way down to today. We look around our world, and what do we see? Warfare, uh, polarization, animosity, hardship, um, abuse, neglect, um, all sorts of evil and crime. And that's just on uh, the shows we watch. Then there's real life, um, where, you know, real life people um, get hurt. And people we love are experiencing difficulty and, and hardship and disease. And, uh, and it's just everywhere. It's a global pandemic. And it's not just one particular strain of it. It's just everything. There's just problems everywhere. It's a sick and dying world. It's, it's got a bug and it's destroying everything. And everything on this planet dies. Did you notice? And here he says, in eternity, God has planned for us these leaves, this tree of life, this imagery, this symbolism is for the healing of the nations. That they're, they're healed of all that ails them. There's a restoration, there's a wholeness that comes to them. And there will no longer be any curse. Get to that in a moment. Here's the second principle. We dream about what? We dream about perfect health and worldwide wholeness. This isn't just an individualized, like, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be healthy, which is amazing and true, and that's real. But for all those who are part of the people of God, and for all the people, tribes, languages, and nations represented, all of them experience complete wholeness, peace, shalom. We're, 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 we were disintegrated, now we're fully reintegrated, brought back together. Everything is as it should be. Perpetually fruitful. Health and well-being everywhere. This is what we dream about. This is what we try to achieve. And we fail. We're... We're getting old, aren't we? All of us, we're getting a little bit older. We're getting a little creakier, a little slower, you know? Some of you are in the prime of life and you're not maybe feeling that, but, but you know, one day we all face that. And then sometimes prematurely, even when we're young, we experience it. And there's a lot of sadness to that. And that's because the whole earth is under a curse because of the fall, because of sin. Uh, scripture makes this clear. Uh, the word curse is used 178 times in the Bible. And it's describing the effects of sin upon the earth. And here's what the good news is, is that all the effects of sin and the fall are removed 
in the new heavens and the new earth. It's completely removed. Where did that come from? How did God do that? Well, he will, he'll, he will bring it to its fulfillment and completion in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity, but he's already begun this renewal of all things, this restoration of all things in this life, and it began in a plan that God had that came about when Jesus took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, performed many miracles, taught the kingdom of God, and then went to a cross to die on the tree for those of us who have sinned against him. And the purpose was to, to remove the penalty for sin, to remove the curse, to reverse the curse. Uh, Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, the apostle, Christ redeemed us uh, from the uh, curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. There's a, there's, a, there's a curse that the law, which we violated, has brought. And Christ bought us out of that, redeemed us, paid a price, it means, to set us free. And he did this by hanging on a tree, by dying on a cross. So, have you come to faith in Jesus? Have you crossed that line of faith and trust him? Because if you have, then you can know that, Curse has been removed through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's no longer on you. And yet we will still in this life experience some of the lingering effects of sin. But in the new heavens and the new earth, all of that is removed completely. And if you've never come to faith in Jesus, then by all means, the dream of perfect health and worldwide wholeness, the dream of the removal of the curse of sin in your life can be made real by trusting in Jesus even today. Let's keep going. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Some translations, the servants will worship him. Either word is, is good. I actually think serve is better here. He's talking about servants who serve him. So, so God himself comes to dwell among us. We're, we're not far off. We're not at a distance from God and, and Jesus, the Lamb. They're right there in the city with us. We're, we're in this capital city of, of the new heavens and the new earth. He's dwelling among us, and his servants will serve him. We are God's servants. We, 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 we were born, we were created to, to, to love and worship God, to give him our whole lives, to do all that we can to bring honor and glory to him, to serve him. Why do we do that? Because that brings the most joy to us. It's not that God needs help. Like, yeah, I can't get my laundry done. No, God doesn't need help. He can do it all by himself. But he wants us to give, he wants to give us the joy of serving in his kingdom, of, 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 of serving him, the king of kings, and to be able to carry out these incredible movements of mercy and love and goodness and compassion and truth and justice that God gives to us in this life and in eternity. I, I want you to think for a minute, what will we do in heaven? In the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to think first of a really bad job. Maybe you've had a really bad job some point in your life. I had. Um, when I was in seminary for a short time, I worked for this lawn care outfit, okay? Uh, it was called uh, North Shore Spray Service. And, uh, you know, great people and everything. I just didn't like the work. I was hauling around and lugging around these hoses and, uh, and, and, and putting down chemicals on lawns. And, and pretending to be a horticultural expert. 
Guys, I didn't know anything about lawn care. All I did was spray on weed killer. That's my extent of it. But I didn't like the job. It, was, it, it, just, it wasn't me. It's a great job for somebody, but not for me. You know, it wasn't what I was created to do. And so many days when it was the day of, uh, of work, I didn't work every day, but the days that I had to work, the thing about the spraying the weed killer is you could not do it when it rained. And I disliked this job so much that I would go out literally on the, the deck of our apartment and I would just say, rain, baby, rain. I just wanted it to rain. And a lot of times it did not rain and I had to go to work. And so it wasn't a great job. We all know those kinds of jobs. But now think of a dream job. Think of a job that's fulfilling and exciting and amazing and all your gifts and abilities are used to their utmost and you get satisfaction out of doing it. It's like you're doing something meaningful that makes impact and, and, and uh, it makes a difference and you like doing it. And to some extent, some of us are in jobs that are closer to that sort of thing and some of us aren't uh, because we live in a fallen world. But whatever it might be, uh, there's coming a day when you will have your ultimate dream job. Because here he says, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And on that day, you will have your ultimate dream job. His servants will serve him. A lot of theologians, really great theologians, have not picked up on this quite well. In fact, the great theologian uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, said of heaven, quote, Heaven is a place of motionless absorption with an intellectual contemplation of God. Complete inactivity except in the mind. Now maybe that was a dream job for Thomas Aquinas. He just loved doing that, sitting around thinking great thoughts. But not everybody thinks that's a dream job. And what God promises here, and, there, and all the language that you see in, the, in other places talk about is doing meaningful work. You see, serve is a verb. Worship is a verb. We are active, serving, occupied, accomplishing important tasks and missions and events and things to do for God. And God is not a harsh taskmaster. He's not a hard, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's the perfect boss who loves us, who adopts us as his own sons and daughters. And he says, but I got some great stuff for you. you're going to love doing. You're going to love doing. So it doesn't come to an end. Uh, you see the new heavens and the new earth. We've got houses, lands, and so forth. I mean, there's stuff to do. But it's not, it's not drudgery, uh, guys. Uh, work is, is not a four-letter word, is what I'm telling you. In fact, in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Did you notice that? It's not a punishment work. This responsibility of watching over it, taking care of it, tending it, working it, is actually meaningful labor. It's enjoyable. It's only after the fall of humanity, when they rebelled against God, that God says, well, now work's going to be by the sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles, difficult. It's going to have hardships to it. You're, you're going to hate it at times. It's going to be boring. It's going to be drudgery. It's going to be disappointing. That only happens after the fall, when it becomes tedious and frustrating and monotonous and difficult and exhausting. But work, we've learned here, is in and of itself not evil. God himself is a worker. He rested, he did all this great stuff for six days, and then he rested from his work on the seventh, we learn. God himself is a worker. Jesus is a worker. He found satisfaction in his work. Even in Eden, there was work before the fall, before sin entered. 
So how will we serve God in a new heavens and a new earth? Well, how do you serve God on earth? Now, if, it's, if, you, if we're doing it well and we have the opportunities that are open to us, we use our gifts, our abilities, our passions, our personality, and our experiences to bring glory to God, to advance his glory, to make as many people as possible see the goodness and the glory of God by doing our very best to reflect his greatness. That's what work will be. And when we do that kind of work, it brings satisfaction to our souls and hearts and it pleases everybody else who sees it. That's amazing what you're doing now. I love what you're working on there. It's going to happen in heaven. And we're going to have meaningful, satisfying stuff to accomplish and to do. And we'll get plenty of rest. Oh, yeah. But guys, this is for eternity. So we have all sorts of things to explore. And you never had an opportunity to do this, that, or the other here. Well, you're going to get that opportunity to do this, that, or the other in a new heavens and a new earth. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, it's good stuff. They will see his face in this place. New heavens and new earth. And his name will be on their foreheads. And what's that all about? The longing of the human heart is to see God's face. Uh, the longing of the human heart is, is actually to reflect the glory of God in our faces. You, you hear about somebody who walks into, you know, into a room and, and it lights up the room. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. You know, um, through the crazy COVID pandemic, um, we had a lot of times when we were not face-to-face. We were distanced. We had to socially distance. And, and we did a lot of stuff over Zoom, right? And, and, and we had these sorts of uh, you know, FaceTime experiences, but we, we didn't have as many face-to-face encounters. And occasionally, we didn't even really, even on Zoom, we really didn't see each other like we really were. Uh, we saw some other image of, of what we were supposed to be, but, and we saw some crazy, weird stuff on Zoom, right? Um, people getting, uh, you know, shown on, on their work meeting, you know, in various stages of dress and undress and so forth, and all sorts of crazy stuff happened. I think the one that topped them all, though, was the lawyer who, who was uh, meeting with a couple of other lawyers and a judge about a case, and they were doing it on Zoom court, and he showed up, and unfortunately for him, he showed up as with some filter on it, which made him show up as a cat. So this is the video of the cat lawyer. Check it out. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're trying look. to, we're tr- can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the- it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live, it's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. Um, I think if you click the up arrow next. Oh man, that is hysterical, isn't it? Uh, I'm not a cat, even though I look like a cat. Um, I'm I'm ready to move forward, and it just uh, I've seen that a, a dozen times, and it still makes me laugh because he wanted the judge to be able to see his face, and he couldn't do it. Well, see, guys, um, we dream. We dream about seeing God and reflecting God. We dream about seeing his face and about our faces reflecting his face, not the face of a cat or something else, but the face of God. I want you right now, if, if, you're, if you're with anybody else in, in, when, as, you're, as you're seeing this, 
if you could turn to that someone near you and tell them the one person who has lived in the last hundred years or so that you might enjoy seeing someday. Just one person. Can, anybody. Just think of it. Okay. Take a minute. Name the name. Okay. Who is it? Okay. You got it. All right. Here we go. There's a foundation called Make-A-Wish Foundation, and um, it's created to for people that are, go, uh, especially children who are going through some really difficult physical challenges. And, um, and it wants to help them make a wish for their lives come true, for their dreams come true. And there was one particular one I came across from a young age, uh, a young girl named Micah. She's loved watching football. And she's been enduring grueling hospital stays to treat her congenital heart defect. But Micah found refuge from her treatment journey in her favorite football team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and an all-star player by the name of Patrick Mahomes. She fantasized about one day meeting the celebrated athlete and even becoming the first female NFL quarterback. I want you to watch ESPN Sports Center as they share her heartwarming wish, just a portion of it, to meet Patrick Mahomes on my wish. Check it out. She's brought to the Chiefs locker room. It's so big. Where a huge surprise awaits Micah in her favorite player's locker. What? Look at that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. For you. <laughs> her own personalized jersey and gear. It's onto the practice field. Patrick Mahomes welcomes Micah. She meets Travis Kelsey, too. As her mother gives Micah a big hug of encouragement, <laughs> it's time to be a quarterback. Don't, don't take my spot, though. You can't throw him too good, you know. <laughs> Ready, set, hike. Ooh. See it? Oh, yeah. And now, for the first time, downtown Charlie Brown. We're going deep, all right? I'm going to give him a little movie. You just throw it up top of my bed, all right? Ready? It's Patrick on defense trying to cover Travis. I've always wanted to do this. And he's going to get in my chest? Ready, set, hike! Follow <laughs> <laughs> me! Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> It's a once-in-a-lifetime thrill for Micah at QB. And your heart, is your heart yeah. shaking? Oh, that's a great heartwarming story, you know. And she, she got to see his face. She got to meet uh, her hero, Patrick Mahomes. And um, there's just an incredible thrill at seeing somebody that we, that we admire, that we love, that we respect, want to be like. And... Inside the human heart, this eternity is, is yearning and longing. And some people don't even know this, but what they're yearning and longing for is to see the face of God, to meet God face to face. The greatest tragedy of the fall of the human race is that God no longer dwells among men and women in a, in a physical sense. There's a disconnect now. We can't see him any longer. Our sin separates us from him in this life. Many people wanted to see God but they were not able to. Not even Moses he says, nah, you cannot see my face. No one can see God without dying. The experience is just so overwhelming. And because of the, the, the sinfulness of the human heart, that just isn't going to work in this life. 
just not prepared for it. But there's coming a day for anyone who's believed in Jesus that we will experience what theologians call the beatific vision. The beatific vision. That means to see God. Beatific means it's a happy-making sight. It's a sight that just makes you happy. And that's what's going to happen in eternity. When we meet the king and see him face to face. His name, it says, will be on our foreheads. We will, we will then reflect the character of God perfectly. Uh, you know, we say sometimes about seeing people, you know what, what's wrong? You have panic written all over your face. Or you're up to something, I can see it on your face. Or you have joy written all over you. But there will come a day when you have God written all over you. You'll be an amazing person far beyond what you can even imagine or dream today. You will be fully transformed. And everyone who sees you will be reminded of God's great delight in you. That's what they will see. You see, the artist, when the artist makes an incredible a portrait or, or a scene, it painstakingly prepares the masterpiece. And when he or she does that when it's completed. The artist, what does the artist do with the masterpiece? What's the last step? He signs his name. She signs her name to the masterpiece. And that's what God does in the new heavens and the new earth. He gets to you and he signs his own name on you and says, it's finished. It's completed. The masterpiece that I created is now fully Complete. That's what we have to look forward to. And then verse 5, night will be no more. And night in the scriptures oftentimes is associated with evil, wrongdoing, criminal behavior. Bad stuff happens at night. And it did in the ancient world a lot because, you know, it was complete pitch black. There's no electrical lights, just torches and some things. A lot of bad stuff happened at night. But he says night will be no more. It's taken away. He says, people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. You're not going to need a heavenly body to do that because you're in a new heavens and a new earth because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Here's the fifth principle and last one today. We dream about fulfilling our true purpose. We dream about fulfilling our true purpose. Everything is made for a purpose. A cup is made for drinking. A pencil is made for writing. A watch is made for telling time. Food is made for eating. The Cleveland Browns are made for losing. Okay, what are we made for? What is our true purpose? Well, many things you could talk, think about. We're made to love God, to know God, to love others, to experience community, to reflect God's character. But there's one more thing that we were made for, and that is to reign and rule on earth. Did you know that? Adam and Eve were made to be the king and queen of earth. You remember the words of Genesis? Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. That's how God made us. That's how God wired us in his image, male and female, which reflect what God is like. God blessed them and God said to them, 
Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue it does not mean destroy it. Subdue it does not mean uh, annihilate it. Subdue it means it's in chaos, but I put you in a place to bring it into order, to, to, to bring it to out its full uh, fullness and, and to completion. All its potential, that's what you're to do, he says. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls, crawls on the earth. They were made to rule and reign in an incredibly kind, creative, loving, amazing way over all of God's creation. So come back to our passage. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. God is our light. We learned that last weekend. So God comes into the place and it lights up a room because God is, is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. And he's so glorious and amazing that he just brings light with him. And he gives us light just from his very being. We don't need sun or moon. I don't know if the sun and moon will be in the new heavens and the new earth, but if they are, we won't need their light. They'll just be little... Little sparks, God's plenty, all we'll need. And then he says, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the key phrase, circle it. You and I, along with countless others from every tribe, language, people, and nation who know Jesus, who've been bought with a price, the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, will reign with him. You see, in the new heavens and the new earth, it's not just that God reigns, it's that we reign with him. There's a great uh, uh, book written by C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, and it's, it's loosely has some of these same sort of themes. Uh, and in the end of the movie, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there are four characters, these children, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund, are crowned and given responsibilities for Narnia. It, he says, you're to do something. Check out this scene. I give you Queen Lucy, the Valiant. the great western wood, King Edmund, the just, to the radiant southern sun, Queen Susan, the gentle, and to the clear northern sky, I give you King Peter, the magnificent. 
once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen. May your wisdom grace us until the stars rain down from the heavens. Long live King Peter! Long live King Edward! Long live King Susan! Long live King So yeah, a very dramatic conclusion. Now they are co-rulers in this kingdom of Narnia. And God will on that day give us this co-reign with him, co-heirs with Christ. And there will be now and there will be then endless ways to use our gifts and abilities to rule over the earth, not in a harsh way, but in a way that brings blessing and honor to God and countless millions and millions of people. They will reign forever and ever. Every single empire, human empire, eventually falls. Throughout history, they've they've risen and then they've fallen. Except God's empire, it lasts forever. It never ends. Knowing that that is God has promised us this new heavens and new earth, what does it mean for now? A few things to take away. First, it encourages me to persevere when life gets difficult because this isn't the end of the story. Keep going strong. God's got something better for you, no matter what you're facing. Second, it motivates me to use my gifts and abilities to serve God now because that's what I was created to do. Not just in eternity, but right now. Use your abilities and gifts and personality and experiences to serve the living God, to worship the living God, to make his name known through the gifts and abilities you have to show off the image of God in your life through doing great stuff, by by doing a good job at work, by parenting well, by loving your neighbors, all these ways that we can reflect the image and character of God. Do it now and we'll be doing it in eternity. The new heavens and the new earth remind me of the urgency to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because do I want even one person to miss out on this glorious, amazing future? Absolutely not. How heartless would I have to be to say, I don't really care if if other people even know that this exists. No, you got to care. It moves us. It motivates us that we've got good news to tell people. We aren't telling people bad news. We're telling them fantastic good news. Fourth, it, it helps me to set meaningful priorities in light of eternity. Knowing that this is how it all ends, what does that mean for my life now? And I I reprioritize stuff, stuff that I thought was so very important. Maybe it's not as important as I thought it was in light of eternity. Number five, it challenges me to reflect God and his desires for the renewal of all things. Um, I want to reflect him in everything that I do and be a part of the renewal of all things on this earth now and in eternity. Six, it gives me confidence because I know I cannot ultimately fail. I'm not going to fail, ultimately. So I can be encouraged to keep going strong and know I'm the only winning team. And lastly, the new heavens and the new earth excite me with its promise of seeing God face to face 
and the mil, a million amazing things that God has prepared for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this today. Thank you for the incredible promises that this passage um, contains for us, explains to us. May it thrill our hearts. And if, if, if we haven't fully understood it, light a fire in us that we can see that you have something great for us in this life and the life to come. Help it to motivate us, to encourage us, to excite us, to thrill us. In all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all and have a great, fantastic week ahead.